Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Progressive Field in Cleveland. It's the Cleveland Guardians 3, the Chicago White Sox nothing. The Guardians finally get back home and they get themselves back in the win column. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy, watching baseball being played. However, I'm going to be completely honest with you. I left work right around 6 o'clock when this game was starting, and... I'm, I needed some music. I needed some music in my life. I needed to crank some tunes and drive with the windows down or I was going to fall asleep. I, if I had to listen to Tom Hamilton call four or five innings of one-run baseball, I would have fallen asleep driving home. That's, it's just I needed a break. I needed a little break. I needed some music in my life. and uh, So I really didn't uh, watch much of this game. I then had a family thing in the evening, so uh, you know I didn't get to turn the game on there. So of course I keep track of it. Of course I've got it on my phone. You know I'm a, I'm I'm sneaking peeks. I'm paying attention. I'm watching the highlights as they come in. But uh, live, I did not get to take much of this game in. I went back, looked over some things, kept it, paid attention to it all night, and I got some thoughts. I got some thoughts. It's nice to see the Guardians win. Always fun. However, man, it, it was a slog to get there, wasn't it? I mean, it was it was nice to see Hunter Gaddis pitch well. That was a huge surprise. You know, people were expecting Gaddis to give you a few innings. Maybe Xavier Curry would piggyback off of him. And they'd, you know, piece together this game, much like the White Sox did on the other side with Jimmy Lambert as an opener uh, before Jess Schultens comes in and gives them five innings, five decent innings. Uh, but no, Gaddis actually locked in. He actually was doing it uh, in this one. So uh, they don't need to piggyback like that. It's a pretty good day for Cleveland pitching. Sh- anytime you shut out a team, <laughs> I think you can call that a good day for your pitching staff. So, yes, I didn't get to watch it live or listen to it live. But uh, I've taken it in. And you know what? Sometimes, especially after a frustrating series like the one against the Mets, sometimes you just need a break. You you just need a break. You need to step away for a second, uh, appreciate some other things in life, and uh, and then we get back to baseball. So let's get into the storylines of this one, and then we've got two emails waiting for us in the inbox. Eric had a big challenge for you tonight, and Eric, I, I think I got you. I think I got the stats that you're looking for. So we'll get to that, and Greg... Uh, gave us an update on where he's at right now with this team. So uh, let's get into the storylines of the game, and we got to talk about him. I don't want to talk about him. I texted my brother. I don't want to talk about Mike Zanino, but I got to talk about Mike Zanino. He has the big hit, the big two-run home run in the seventh inning. It wasn't the go-ahead hit per se. I mean, one one run would have carried the day, but it sure felt good to get a three spot up on the board to put a crooked number up and uh, give yourself a little bit of insurance because Stefan and Glossé did not have the best series in New York. And uh, it sure felt good to give them a little bit of cushion with to work with in the eighth and ninth inning. All right, so let's talk about Zanino. Obviously, you've been listening to the show. You know I'm not a Zanino fan. I I have no, nothing, uh, no stake in the guy, right? Like, I'm not invested in him. I, whatever happens with him, happens with him. I, 
He's not a beloved fan favorite. He's a guy that came in for six million bucks and has played pretty bad baseball up to this point. He goes out and has probably his best game of the season. I mean, he throws a base runner out stealing. That was pretty good. Uh, nabbed. Uh, oh, let me flip back to the White Sox here. Nabbed uh, Robert in the. Uh, I think that was in the first inning. Uh, got him stealing second and really made a good, strong, perfect throw and nailed a base runner. And then after uh, not doing much in his first two at-bats, in his first at-bat, he popped out. Uh, in his second at-bat, he grounded out. Uh, that one had a 580 expected batting average, though. He hit it hard, 96.8. And then he comes up. In the seventh inning, Gabriel Arias was on via a walk. He's standing there on second base. Mike Zanino actually works a pretty long at-bat in this one. Uh, Gregory Santos comes in fresh from the bullpen to face him. That's the matchup that the White Sox wanted. Misses with a slider uh, inside on him. High and inside, so clearly didn't have a great grip on that slider. I don't think that's a location you typically see a slider thrown. Um, actually, you know what? I, I don't know. Is Santos a right-handed pitcher or a left-handed pitcher? That would probably be a good thing to check on. Okay. Confirm Santos is a right-handed pitcher. That's what I thought. So yeah, first pitch is a slider high and tight, which is a weird place to throw a slider. Uh, tries to go, uh, down low with a sinker and he foul tips it. Swings through another sinker on the inside edge. These are 98 mile per hour two seam sinker. So they, these things are cooking. And uh, now he's got him ahead in the count. He's got a you know one-two count on him. He tries to get him to chase a slider away. He fouls it off. Tries to go way away with a slider. And uh, he lets it go. Two-two count now. And again, don't know where the catcher was set up. But I'm guessing they were probably trying to come back inside with another two-seamer. And throws it 99 miles per hour this time. Puts it, though, middle of the plate, down at the thighs. Middle down quadrant, and uh, Zanino absolutely unloads on it. 101.5 mile per hour exit velocity, 36 degree launch angle, 341 out to the seats in right field. It only had it only had a 390 expected batting average. It would have been, you know, I saw on the Wooded Dong Twitter account they said 15 out of 30 ballparks. Uh, Statcast is telling me only eight out of 30 ballparks. Would it been a home run in? So uh, a long list of ballparks. It would not have been a home run in, including guaranteed rate field in Chicago. So uh, he he gets it out here in Cleveland, and uh, it's a big big moment for the guy who I, I at least I I feel the emotion of it though. You know I do I do feel for the guy the the emotion of being in a really really difficult slump. And finally getting that home run. Like, it's the one thing Mike Zanino can hang his hat on. He's never hit for a high average. He's never played great defense. But darn it, he can hit home runs. So he finally gets one out here in the seventh inning. And, yeah, it's a big moment in the game for him. So, uh, congratulations to him. It still doesn't make me believe in Mike Zanino long term. But you at least... The human side of it, right? You at least feel for a guy who finally got a big hit, finally feels like maybe he just busted his slump uh, with that one swing. So we'll see where it goes from here. 
Again, I'm surprised Zanino, I'm surprised Gallagher isn't getting more playing time. He's been playing really, really great defensively. With the young pitcher on the mound, I'm surprised Cam Gallagher wasn't in there for the young pitcher. Uh, Hunter Gaddis getting the call up from uh, AAA to make this start. I know a lot of you wanted Williams. A lot of you wanted Williams, but he pitched on Sunday, and uh, Gaddis was available. So... Uh, he gets the start in replace of uh, in place of Battenfield, who had went to the IL. So I was, yeah. Gallagher usually works with a lot of these young pitchers and has a lot of success with them. I won't be shocked if he's in there uh, today, game two of this series uh, with, I believe, Logan T. Allen. Is uh, do we have to keep saying that? It's just fun to say, I guess. Uh, Logan Allen will be on the mound, so I I won't be shocked if Cam Gallagher is in there working with him. So Zanino gets the big moment. And yeah, it is the top storyline, absolutely. A little bit of redemption for Mike Zanino. The other big thing in this game is Hunter Gaddis just locking it down. Six innings pitched, two hits, no runs, one walk, four strikeouts, no home runs allowed on 90 pitches. He's only hard hit six times. That is a quality start from Hunter Gaddis. And uh, what was working for him? I noticed watching the highlights back, it really seemed like he was attacking the outside edge of the plate, the uh, the uh, glove side of the plate for the very large right-handed pitcher. And yeah, going over to StatCast and going over to the Illustrator, he definitely was attacking with that fastball on that glove side of the plate. That's where he was aiming. And it's mostly against right-handed hitters. So I think Shane Bieber does this a little bit stays away from right-handed hitters, attacks the outside edge of the zone. A lot of sliders out there, a lot of change-ups out there. Against left-handed pitch uh, batters, it's a little more mixed, working a, both sides of the plate a little more. But against the righties, it's a pretty cons- you know pretty definite effort to keep the ball on that outside edge. So was it working for him? Hey, he, uh, you know, four strikeouts over six innings is decent. It's interesting, the, uh, the strikeouts... Uh, changing the view here. Let's take a look at just the strikeouts. They came on all four of his pitches. Oh, wait, I didn't take that back. So, well, okay. I'm a little bit confused about Hunter Gaddis because uh, different places are telling me different pitches. He is not, according to StatCast, he has not thrown a slider all season. But it picked up the slider today. And a few cutters. There, there was a difference in spin. There was a difference in uh, hor- you know, in vertical movement. Uh, that def- differentiated between the two pitches. However, I go to Fangraphs, and they tell me he's been throwing the slider all along. So I thought maybe he went down to AAA and, you know, worked on a new pitch or worked uh, up the kinks with an old pitch uh, while he was down there in AAA. No, apparently he's been throwing the slider all along. I don't know if StatCast earlier in the season was just reading the slider as a cutter or vice versa. He throws a lot of sliders in this one. His strikeouts come on four different pitches. Uh, one was a, a fastball to the glove side on Jake Berger. Uh, one was a curveball that Romy Gonzalez got locked up on an 0-2 count. Couldn't take the bat off his shoulder on an 0-2 curveball. Uh, I got uh, Gonzalez again on a changeup. Uh, the curveball was in the third inning on 0-2 count. The changeup was in the sixth inning on a 2-2 count. And again, couldn't get the bat off his shoulder. And then got Luis Robert to chase a cutter down to the glove side on a 3-2 count. He swings over that. That's a nasty pitch there. That's right off the edge of the plate. Uh, and definitely something that Robert's going to have to protect on a full count. 
So that's good to see from Gaddis, you know, using different pitches. Uh, curious, I haven't checked this yet, but what was his count breakdown? Was he staying ahead? No. No, in fact, looks like he started more batters 1-0 than he started 0-1. That's the thing in this game. Like, Gaddis pitches so well, but there's so many things that tell me that he probably shouldn't have. You know, falling behind 1-0 to start at bats. He threw just over 50% strikes, 53%. It was on 90 pitches were only 48 strikes. That's usually a recipe for something really bad to happen as a starting pitcher. But Gaddis made it work. Uh, so, you know, good for him uh, making this whole thing work like that. Uh, going over to his player breakdown page, uh, he uh, he got a decent amount of whiff, especially with that four-seam fastball. Had a 30% whiff rate on that fastball. 33% whiff rate on the day. And then uh, peppered in a few called strikes, it actually brings the CSW down to a 24%. Not that many called strikes. Uh, but, uh, you know, average exit velocity off them was only 88.5. You know, especially keeping them off the fastball, average exit velocity off his fastball was 87.5. So, good job there from Hunter Gaddis. Now, looking at, like, what happened the last time he pitched for us, going over to his game log... Uh, he did, the last time he actually pitched for us was a little bit of relief against the Detroit Tigers where he gave us, um, I'm sorry, against the Miami Marlins where he gave us two uh, innings of relief. His last two starts against the Yankees and the Tigers in mid-April, he gives up eight hits in both of those games. Now the Yankees get him eight runs on eight hits. The Tigers can't be that efficient with their uh, stuff. They don't have any home runs off them. So they only managed three runs, but still eight hits over five innings. It's a lot of hits to give up. So uh, clearly made some adjustments in AAA and uh, pitched a really good game against the Chicago White Sox. So, I mean, that's that's kind of it. There were a few defensive plays. You know, uh, Andres Jimenez makes a nice defensive play up the middle that probably... It didn't prevent a run from being scored, let's say, but it at least stopped a rally from starting, right? It stopped from putting uh, Gaddis in a tough situation, and he stayed out of tough situations most of the night, right? Uh, little things like catching a runner, stealing, and uh, you know, making fine defensive plays on the infield uh, really help, really help uh, handle what could could be a big rally. So, uh, yeah, I. It's a solid game from the Guardians, but it's pretty unremarkable. I mean, it's four hits for the Guardians and three hits for the White Sox. What offensively does that really allow me uh, to break down? You know, Quan was on base twice. That's nice to see a double and a walk. Uh, we did draw a decent amount of walks. One, two, three, four walks. Arias walked twice and scored two runs. So not helping the batting average, but at least helping the OPS a little bit with that on-base percentage. And then Zanino with the big one, the big two RBI home runs. So I honestly don't have a lot of thoughts on this game. I, there's not a lot happening here. There's not a lot. And frankly, it was probably two kind of bad baseball teams that didn't have much offensively on the day. And uh, the Guardians were able to come out on top. I, I'm still sticking with that. That, you know, we're we're a bad baseball team with a lot of talent. With a lot of talent. They had a, a team meeting. Francona called a team meeting after the sweep in New York. Gave the guys his talk. 
gave the guys his thoughts. We'll see how they respond. Naylor said, Josh Naylor said that something like that happened the previous year, and it was a spark for them. Francona's words did spark some something, a change in the team. So we'll continue to monitor them and see, did this talking to, did this Francona team meeting do anything? Did it have any magic, or is there just no magic this season? All right. Getting into the emails, I'm going to start with Greg's because Eric's is a big challenge. Uh, Greg said, just listen to your doubleheader wrap-up podcast. Uh, I meant to email this weekend, but I just didn't know what to say. I really appreciate the reminder to not let it ruin our summers and to stick with the team. It's baseball. It's a fun game. It's easy to get down because our team isn't winning. It's obviously been pretty hard to watch and especially to get swept yesterday and Friday. I was really happy to see Bo Naylor called up. We've all been waiting for that. I do have a feeling he's going back down. Yes, he did. But hey, it was fun while it lasted. Also great to see a little more of young guys playing. I agree that Freeman should play every day. I think you're spot on if things don't change. They will need to make some changes. Uh, I think the holes are pretty obvious right now. The offense and the bullpen. It's late May, so there are no excuses. It's just time to improve our weak areas and start winning ball games. I hope we see some great baseball this week. They're back home, so I plan on going to a game each series. Have a good week. Thanks, Greg. Yeah, I think, Greg, right, you have the uh, you have the ballpark pass, right, where you get those standing room only tickets. Uh, so, yeah, he, uh, he's taking advantage of it. I like to see it. Uh, yeah, Freeman. I, you know, the thing is, Arias is playing. They're finding ways to get Arias in the lineup every day. And some days are more successful than others. But, you know, between three different positions, it's really helping get Arias on the field. Uh, it's, it just hasn't been the same for Tyler Freeman. Uh, we'll see if he gets him in this series somehow. But, yeah, I do. Freeman is, every time Freeman goes in, he finds a way to get a hit. He finds a way to be on base and causing damage. And uh, I do want to see Freeman get those at-bats. I just, man, it's that long jam that everybody's been writing about and talking about. For years now, and it's it's here. I mean, we're dealing with the logjam of middle infielders. Just how the heck does he pull this off and get these guys at bats? So thank you, Greg, for the email. Moving on, Eric, I think you're going to enjoy this, listeners, because he gave me a good challenge. He said, hey, Davey, I'm not sure why I need stats to match the eye test here, but is there a way to see how the Guardians compare to the rest of the league in the following stats? Average with runners in scoring position, clutch pitching, you know, like high-level situations, and ground into double play. He says, this seems depressingly like a brown season where something new and surprising goes wrong every game. It'd be easy to say, hey, just can't hit. But then they finally score a bunch of runs and the bullpen collapses. The rookies look good, and then Bieber puts a cucker, etc. Although Bieber did pitch pretty good on, uh, on Sunday night. At what point in the season do we transition from playoff expectations to look at all these fun prospects getting time? I assume this means taking the hit on Zanino and just committing to Naylor for at least like two-thirds of the games. The bell contract not being so easy because of the player option. Maybe early June? Thanks for keeping me level-headed after a loss. Go guards. Yeah, I know people are speculating that Naylor, it might just be a time manipulation thing at this point, right? To avoid the Super 2 where he'd be eligible for arbitration a year early. We might not see him until the middle of summer. Uh... But yeah, it's I they they really really need to have a run of some. It doesn't matter who they're playing. I'm even gonna say I'm not even gonna say they need to beat good teams. I just need a run where they look 
like the division winners that we saw last year before I start to let playoff expectations creep back into my mind. All right, so Eric challenged us on three stats. Well, it challenged me. You just get to listen. Average with runners in scoring position, clutch pitching, uh, and ground into double plays. Well, I'm going to start with the easiest one first. Ground into double plays, I can answer. Uh, the Cleveland Guardians uh, have grounded into a double play 32 times. League average is 33. The middle of the pack is 33. So we're we are literally right in the middle of the pack when it comes into grounding into double plays. So could be worse, could be better. The next thing he asks us, runners with scoring position, is a little bit different. Baseball reference just won't just won't give me that stat. Now, I, there are some creative things I can tell you, like uh, the amount of runners left on base. Uh, the Cleveland Guardians, surprisingly, haven't left that many runners on base. Uh, 314. The most is the Toronto Blue Jays at 357. League average is 319. So again, we're just below league, or I guess just above league average when it comes to runners left on base. However, that's because total bases, total bases, you know, singles, doubles, triples, home runs, whatever it may be, total bases, the Guardians come in dead last in baseball at 524 total bases. Meanwhile, the Tampa Bay Rays, who, yes, are ridiculous, are up to an 816 uh, total bases. Now, total bases isn't always a recipe for success. The St. Louis Louis Cardinals are second in total bases, and they're having a terrible start to the season. They're 21-28 and on the season, but they've accumulated a ton of bases, 729. So, uh, yeah, I guess if you're not getting a lot of guys on base, then you're not leaving a lot of guys on base. So those two things uh, make a little bit of sense. But let's go a little bit deeper. One thing I can tell you, uh, baseball reference will tell me what the league's batting average is with runners in scoring position. This is literally a combination of the entire league's data. And with runners in scoring position, the league is hitting. Major League Baseball as a whole is hitting 254. Your Cleveland Guardians with runners in scoring position are hitting 243. So there we are below that league average. Um, the entire league, major league baseball, it has a 749 OPS with runners in scoring position. Your Cleveland guardians only have a 700 OPS with runners in scoring position. So again, below the league average. And then finally, the easiest way to look at this is actually, it's right there in baseball reference, um, a handy tool S O P S plus. So this is the OPS plus relative to the league's split, where league average is set to 100. That's 7, what did I say? It's 749 would be the league average, would be 100. And where do the Guardians fall with their 700 OPS? They have an 87 SOPS+, plus, which means they're about 13% worse than league average when it comes to OPS with runners in scoring position. So there you go. It's not the definitive ranking. I can't tell you they're 24th in baseball with runners in scoring position, but I can tell you that they're 13% worse than league average with runners in scoring position. So that one was definitely the tricky one. On the pitching side of things, they do have those high leverage numbers, but for some reason they always throw them in there 
as like offensive numbers as opposed to pitching numbers. Like I don't have ERA and whip and things like that. I can tell you in, uh, in high leverage situations, uh, they have the worst batting average against of the three. So in low leverage situations, remember, uh, but again, this is a little bit strange because the high leverage situations means that the play impacted the win probability in a significant way. I guess if you strike somebody out, it can impact the win probability in a significant way in your advantage. So I'll just say that uh, in low leverage situations, they have a 233 betting average against, in medium leverage, a 266, and high leverage is a 274. And the uh, the OPS goes up as well uh, from low to high leverage situations. However, the strikeouts uh, are there uh, in high leverage situations. They are striking out a decent amount of batters. Uh, the strikeout to walk ratio in high leverage situations is 3.14. In low, a uh, medium leverage is 3.28, and low leverage is 2.18 strikeout to walk ratio. So again, this is a this is a little bit misleading because the actual leverage of a situation is impacted by the win probability. Um, what else can I tell you? In uh, in late and close games, uh, in late and close games, they have a 234 batting average against with a 687 OPS. So that seems pretty different, decent. Uh, SOPS plus for this one is uh, they're at 99. So it means they're right around league average when it comes to late and close games. Uh, so yeah, that, I hope that helps a little bit, kind of meet that eye test that you were talking about. Uh, the pitching has been kind of hot and cold when it comes to high leverage situations. The average with running runners in scoring position, it hasn't been that good. And uh, grounding into double play, surprisingly not as bad as we thought uh, on the eye test. I guess, I bet Ahmed Rosario is the curve buster there. I mean, let's be, in fact, let's look at it. Let's look at our Cleveland Guardians and uh, let's see who's been the culprit. The one that's uh, hitting into all those double plays. And uh, going over to the team batting. Yes, there he is. Ahmed Rosario leaving the leading the pack with seven ground into double plays. Uh, Naylor, Quan actually, are right behind him at five. And then uh, Ramirez and Straw have three each. And so on and so on. So, yep, Ahmed Rosario leading the pack there for grounding into double plays. So, I thanks for the email, Eric. Uh, I, hope, I hope that was the information you're looking for. It was a fun challenge to kind of dig through baseball reference. And uh, they, they don't make it easy. I know it would be great if every one of those splits was available uh, you know, for the team so we could see how the team compares to the rest of the league. But we got to get a little creative sometimes when we're looking for the data we're looking for. So thank you for the email, Eric. Thank you for the email, Greg. And thanks for listening. That's kind of all my thoughts on this one. MVP on the day. I, you know what? I got to share it. I got to go co-MVPs. I forgot to say it yesterday. It definitely would have been Jose Ramirez. He had a home run in both games of the doubleheader. Uh, he would have been my MVP on the day yesterday. In this one, I got to go co-MVPs. I mean, you can't take away anything from Gaddis's pitching performance, especially getting the call-up from AAA like that. And you can't, you got to give Zanino credit where credit is due for the home run. So we get an offensive MVP on the day and a pitching MVP on the day. And in a nice 3-0 win, uh, yeah, that's what you would expect, right? 
So uh, that's all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. Let's keep it rolling. Let's keep beating up on the White Sox, who I think were better than them. I do. Despite the last series at Guaranteed Rate Field, I think we're better than the White Sox. So let's keep it going. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at Mornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game. Challenge me to look up other stats. We'll discuss it on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Spotify. If you go to the link in the show notes, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play it back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.